great testing. That seems like it's working. I never know with this thing. It's exciting. It's exciting. I think I actually have uh, a podcast on my phone, <laughs> which, is, which is me uh, sort of comment, commentating on your first round of play. You walked away when I got in the rules fight, right? <laughs> or did you just talk no, about no, the no, rules no. Fight? That was that was the Robert Ward match. No, no. Oh yeah, I came back after. I, yeah, I we I, had a small dispute on the rules, but I mean, I just like went with what Cedar said because like. I, I was confused. Like, I wanted to discard, and he's like, back up. And I'm like, are you backing me up a step? He's like, yeah, so I thought I was in Maine. So I tried to play, like, a, I don't know, some sort of sorcery speed spell. <laughs> what are, do you know how many times Worth Walford literally ran that against me, like, when we were it kids? It doesn't quite work that way anymore. But, like, so let's back up a I little bit. I don't think it worked that way when Worth was running it against me either, let's by back, the way. Let's back up a little bit. It's yeah. Mike, Michael J. Flores, Brandon Marshall, Topic Magic. Uh... Today, Top 8 Magic is actually not taking it far enough. This is Top 1 Magic. You you actually won the TCG Player 5K this weekend. With the weekend. deck that we brewed on the air last time we podcasted a Joe, pretty much. <laughs> so, basically, Deceiver XR exploit your twin. Yeah, it's just so obvious. I mean, like, like I, this is what I've been saying. People keep asking me similar questions. It's like, I'm not saying my deck is the be-all and end-all. I posted my deck on last Friday. I'm like, I don't know if this is the best build. However... It's unquestionable that this is the best strategy. Like, is that the Crimson Dynamo? I don't understand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you agree, right? Like, it's just obvious. It's like, so I much mean, better than any other strategy it, you could play. And again, maybe this will change as people adjust their Cobblade deck. Probably not. But watching you play Cobblade yeah. and misplay against Cobblade. Doesn't matter, right? It was. Uh, every game I watched, you either won or should have won. And then sometimes even won them anyway. Even, even if, yeah. yeah. And, and, and and to me, I mean, and I'm not even taking a pot shot there. I mean, when I'm saying that, it's, it's I think also it's a new deck. So I never played so there's a lot. Of, I was just going to say, there's a lot. There were actually a lot of decisions that had to be made. I missed sideboarded against Cobblade or Darkblade at least three times until, I, until actually the Rob Cedar match going into game three. Because, like, I assumed Mana Leaf wasn't good because I assumed my opponents were not horrible. So, like... I assume like they would never keep a hand on the play that didn't have a Stoneforge Mystic. So, if that's the case, then I didn't want to have Mana because it's already too late. So I just I, I took out my three Mana for the Trinket Mage package, and I just decided to try to play an Exhaustion match against them. But it turns out that either your opponents are horrible enough to keep hands going first that don't have a Stoneforge Mystic, or I mean, Mana is still just pretty good in like a long, long game. Sure, well, there were, there were a lot of games I saw where the games went really long. You don't really care what you're at. Like if you get the if you execute the combo, you're just gonna win on the spot. Yeah. So, like having a mana lead to like just get some set up some long board situation where you play an XR at the end of their turn and maybe get into a fight with mana leaks there or get into a fight with mana leaks and mana over I, a splinter twin on your turn seems perfectly fine. Pretty much, if either deck pays four or more mana on their own turn, the Exarch deck will win. That's the pretty much. If either deck, if either deck pays four mana on their own turn, the Exarch okay. deck will win, and it's not always obvious. But like, for example, casting a Jace is just this ludicrous thing. Like, why would you ever cast? You're just dead. Why? <laughs> okay. Oh, why would they ever I cast mean, Jace? Cast Jace so you're, like, you're actually playing six Jaces. Yeah, I mean, if Otis would cast like even a small Jace, they're dead. Like small Jace, spell pierce. 
can't mana leak it. That's like six mana. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you're dead. <laughs> Congratulations, bra. You fought over small Jace. Hope you feel good about yourself. <laughs> like there, in the finals, Edgar Flores couldn't. Like I, I dealt with his early stuff, like with like a with a bounce spell or something. Like, he did not cast a spell until turn eight. Oh, because he was just waiting on all his He couldn't. What could he do? Right. So he cast a Jace on turn 8, right? So we had a counterspell fight, which I won. And then I played... Oh, excellent. Excellent. Superb. One coming back's not bad either. So... Okay, so... uh, Yeah, so, like, he goes Jace. I go, like, I don't know, some kind of, like, mana leak. So he, like... Spell pierced my mana leak. I like, dispelled his spell pierce or something, and he was all tapped out. And then he's like, Well, at least I didn't have enough mana to kill him, right? I didn't have a deceiver in place, so I'm like, I only had like, so I just go, Consecrated Spikes. <laughs> and then I, he, he just like withered like, like a dying tree off of the Consecrated. He's like, Oh no. And do you know what I didn't do with my Consecrated Sphinx? What's that? What do you think I didn't do with attack? it? Attack. I did not attack. Because <laughs> I was playing against Edgar Flores. I'm like, you know what? I'll just gain, really? like, six cards a turn with this. <laughs> and strand the condemn in his hand. Yeah, so then I just summoned a Deceiver Exarch the next turn, so I didn't have to discard. <laughs> just attacked him with that. <laughs> just one Deceiver Exarch. So you actually played him in the finals? Yeah, I did. But we wanted to do the all-floors finals the whole day, and then it went that way. So, so I right, let's set up. So it was a tournament. What was the what was the prize pool? Two hundred something players in the tournament. No, whatever. There was more than that, I think. It was. You know, it was a little. It was right around two hundred. I know that there were two rooms. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of set up a little awkwardly. So the tournaments went into two branches, Weird. which were top eight. Each branch fed into a top eight, sort of like a grand prix split. Yeah. And then, and then those top eights merged into a top sixteen, which played single elimination. Single elimination. And then you were. Is that you, continue to be sanctioned? Because I beat some wicked players in the top sixteen. I think it's. I think it's. It's got. I mean, seriously, I beat like a reigning Grand Prix champion. Who's, which is? I beat Dave Shields in the top eight. I beat Reed Duke in the top four. I oh beat, wow! I didn't even realize that. I, I was long home by this point. I easily the route that I took is easily harder to have won the tournament I won than to win the average Grand Prix. I played against at least in the Swiss. I played against five players who have pro tour experience. You, and you, you were and in a, I, and you were in a tough like. So when people were talking about the two flights of the tournament, the yeah, upstairs yeah. and downstairs, the downstairs was considerably I harder by most people's Rob estimation. Cedar, Jeff Fallinus, uh I mean, Josh McGee has a has a PTQ win in the last two years. Edgar Flores was and in then, the room. My t- but listen, listen to my my top sixteen match. Uh, Chris Levesque. Uh, he was a good player. He played well. Sure. Uh, and he was actually the most dangerous player. He's the only player in the top 16 who took a game off of me. So he, I won the flip. We, he was playing Exarch Twin with Grixis. He beat me in game one. Oh, interesting. Um, like, I just didn't draw the combo, and uh, he played a Spellskite, and I was attacking him with two Deceiver Exarchs, and he had a Spellskite in play, and I just, I had no combo, so, like, uh, nobody had Jace, and so I just played an Inferno type to kill his Spellskite. I had no other play, really, to, I mean... And, but the thing was, the game was getting to the point where he was going to have enough mana that even if I did have mana leak and spell pierce, he would have just played through it. Right. So then he just killed me with his combo. And then game two, I mean, my deck is just dominantly better than Grixis heads up. So, uh, so what, what are the key differences between right, so. Grixis twin and blue red? Because up to this point, yeah. 
I've only seen Grixis play, right? I mean, like, um, people played my deck on Sunday who front me, and they well, won the PTQ. Your deck won the yeah. No, no, actually, I think maybe Grixis Twin won the Splint, I know the Splinter Twin combo so won the PTQ. The, uh, the main differences are they only have three Jaces for some reason. I have six Jaces main deck, <laughs> additional Jace in my sideboard, and Jace's ingenuity. So, like, against Chris, like, I kept the... So, game three, he's going first, which is insane. Going first is so insane, heads up. And, like, I, I mull the six, and I keep this pretty weak hand of, like, into the royal, big Jace, Jace's ingenuity, three lands. But what am I going to do to five on this hand? Like... I at least have an end of the world to fight, and then he like immediately inquisitions me for the for the end of the world, takes it, plays a spell skite, like yeah. and then I play I play uh he has like another spell skite and like I play Jace and he just spell pierces it and I play my fifth land and cast Jace Engineer at the end of his turn and he's like the game's probably over. Like I drew into the royal my my five card swing on that on that turn from like my draw, my Jason's Ingenuity, and then my next draw were Spell Pierce into the Royal Exarch, uh, Splinter Twin Jace. Like, I mean, it's unbeatable. Like, if you summon Jason's Ingenuity in the mirror match, like, it's over. Like, huh. the thing is, like, both of you have sufficient resistance didn't to fight. We, didn't we have like long conversations about Jason's Ingenuity where you thought the card was horrible? Yeah, it's bad. In the decks that people were playing it in, like blue-white control, I'm talking about siding it in in a corner case against oh, okay. the mirror match okay. where they are packed with Inquisition of Kozilek. So if you like, you say, oh, what's their primary way to fight <laughs> so you? It's clunky expensiveness works to your advantage there? Yeah, like they can't Inquisition it, but like their deck is full of like Inquisition of Kozilek and Despise, two cards that can't take it, and then... And then you just draw three cards, and their deck is full of cards that only remove one card. <laughs> like, as long as you're not dead, they can't win. It's, I mean, it's brutal. Like, I mean, I don't know how many mana leaks that deck has as well, but he seemed to have more pierces than mana leaks. I assume it was similar to Man Eater's deck. Um, like, it was, I mean, that matchup is, I wouldn't want to play it all day because even though it's a good matchup, they can have a legitimate chance to play against you. But my dream is no one believes me and that they think the Cobblade is still the best deck and they think that Darkblade... Like, Jake Van Luden's running around Facebook today saying that Darkblade is heavily advantaged against Blue-Red Splinter Twin. I hope everyone believes that for two more weeks because I will easily be the Star City <laughs> Invitational Champion if that is the case. I will gladly play against Darkblade starting four Spellskites all day. That's actually... I mean... Bathroom breaks might be an issue because I'll go to time a lot. <laughs> right. But you can't, it's ludicrous. You can't lose that why, why does Jake think Darkblade has some sort of people advantage? say that it does, so he's assumed it. So what, what, what are the cards he identifies as being sort of like the. Spellskite and Inquisition of Kozilek. I mean, I saw Spellskite in Cobblade decks. It's not exclusive to Darkblade. But they also have Inquisition of Kozilek. Okay, alright. They have like zero to two mana leaks. It's really like, it's a joke. They can't actually interact with you. Now, did you play Tectonic Edges in your, in your build? Sure. Which you get to do because you're Blue Ring. Yeah, so like what I did, uh, here's a good example of like how you beat Darkblade. So like, one game, Jeff Wallenis was on the play, played a Jace. So I was like, that sucks. And he like, brains from a Jace, said go. So I go, into the Royal, your Jace. Untap, tech edge all your blue. <laughs> he did not play a Jace the rest of the game. <laughs> so I played my Jace, and he had no blue to counterspell me. So do you, do you think this is the case, like, almost like what we saw with the with the Caw decks, where people were like, oh, here's this really cool Caw deck, it's blue-white, 
and then everyone's like, oh, I want to, I want to be cool, I want to be I mean, smart. And so everyone sort of like makes it red, they make it black, they so make it whatever. People and then but ultimately, Grixis. ultimately the best people, deck was no, the, the blue white. No, no, I don't think that's the case in this case. I think people started on Grixis because Paulo and Patrick said that Grixis were the way to start, and their decks included black for Inquisition of Kozilek and or Duress and Spellskite, and people are just like, oh. Paulo and Patrick say that this is the right way to go. So I actually tested myself instead of, <laughs> instead of like, I mean, not to knock anybody. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying I tested myself, which I always do. And I was like... Against yourself. Uh, no, I mean, I tested on Moto with, like, M.M. Young and Smitty. Okay. I've made videos of it, actually, <laughs> with, like, Pastor, Pastor Mike in my deck. I'm like, all right, you have to not attack with this guy. That represents the block from last turn. <laughs> you can't attack with this guy. That represents you being scared of a 1-4. He's like, okay, agreed. <laughs> was was Deceiver Axeshock really the only card yeah, that the was only in your deck? Yeah, the only I mean, like... You, you had Spellskite, so I didn't put Cyborg again. Right, yeah. So that's how I didn't know that Spellskite was bad, because I assumed it was good because everyone said it was good. I'm so glad I did not pay $20 for Spellskites like I intended to in the morning. Like, Becker's like, just pay the 10 or $20. It will retain value. It's the best two-drop in years. And, like, Josh gets here, he's like, do not pay $20 no matter what. I don't even think it's good. So I was like, all right, I'll just play Spell Pierce. Thank God I had Spell Pierce. It was so good. Why Why is Spellskite not good? It is, I mean, Spellskite has a job, right? Yeah. It doesn't even do its job. I beat double Spellskites in play at least three times. Not one Spellskite, there were two in play. One of my opponents, who's a very good player, I'm not going to say which one, said good game when he summoned the second Spellskite on turn three. I killed him the next turn. <laughs> the next turn, I killed him. I did. I did see like, at least one game where you had uh, Splinter Twin on a on a Manic Vandal. How do you let you get Splinter Twin on a Manic Vandal? I bounced spell his spell Skype oh, okay. and then played Splinter Twin on my Manic Vandal while it was in his hand. Yeah, I okay. know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> Which I used to. I proceeded to kill his sword, and then, then said, just sat there. Can't make any plays. All, right, all of his plays involve getting Artifacts. a batter skull. <laughs> yes, getting a batter skull. Yeah, so. People, like, I, I heard people whispering about that play when I went upstairs, how it was bad, because I had another Manic Vandal in my hand. Right. But they don't understand. I didn't understand it. I, it seemed bad to me. I knew my opponent had two batter skulls and a, and a, and a sword in his hand. Like, and he has the Stone Forge Mystic in play. So he can put them in play at any time and just decimate you. Yeah, like, I can't without no reaction. The so he's going to go like Spellskite and then that in one like, He's going to play it at the end of turn and then play Spellskite on his turn. Right. So like, if he does that, I'm destroyed. Right? Like... So, I'm, but if I if I play this way, he I got he did nothing for five turns. He like right. until he drew go for the throw. Like right. when then the go for the throw was no longer available to kill my deceiver exar. Like worked out. It all worked out. <laughs> like you're so bad. You're trying to be clever. I'm like really. He had two batter skulls and a sword in his hand and a spell skype. Right. Well, one of the play. I mean, it was very interesting to me. I mean, there's the one play where. There's a couple of interesting plays I saw with you. One of the things is the idea that you could win on your turn on six mana. Oh, you like that one? Yeah, you know. With only get, one red? Yeah, you get into a fight with someone uh, over something. They're tapped out on, the, on their turn. You don't have the Exarch. You have six mana, or you play your sixth mana. And then you can play the Splinter Twin, float a red. I mean, play the Deceiver Exarch, float a no, red. No, 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 you can't do it that way. The Deceiver Exarch has doesn't have haste. Tokens have face. Uh, so what you're talking about is the Boros matchup I had where I literally put my pants down on purpose so that my opponent would tap out to hit me with... I thought he would have a call. 
right? But he had a hero to box with Rich, but exactly what I wanted was let him do that. Then I played a Deceiver Exar, untapped, played my six. I only had one red. Right, that was floated the red. That was the second. I actually, again, I think I have this whole match okay. on podcast. Floated another one and then killed him with the, the first Deceiver Exar. I was very proud of that play. Yeah. That was a. Uh, you know, I actually got a. Like, Dave Shields is a. He seemed like pretty. Pretty tight player. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I, he's a, I'm super impressed with his Cobblade on Cobblade match, and he's a Grand Prix champion this yeah. season. He actually complimented my play. Um, and he's like, my play operation, he's like, he like, I really like how you lay out your lands. I like which lands you play. It's like, it's like, it's so clear you're just lulling your opponent to a false sense of tapping mana on his own turn. <laughs> like, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> it's like, look at, I just keep watching, I just keep walking by, I watch your opponents tap mana, and then they're dead. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you hold your red. <laughs> so I played against Dave, and I played three islands, and he looks up and he's like, I know you're holding two mountains. <laughs> and I'm like, shrug. <laughs> It was it was it was a nice it was it was a fun deck to watch. There there was the the one play that I you know people had I, I was watching where you're playing against Robert Cedar mm. and you get into a fight and it's the was it the end of his turn? Oh no, it was on your turn. You played Jace. Yeah. And he plays Manaly. Yeah. So I could have just tapped to pay for the Manaly. But instead, like, he has to have Spell Pierce there. Right, but he's, I mean, he's... You're right. Is, is he representing... I'm just curious, I mean... Like, he cast a bunch of counters already that game. Yeah. They just kill him. Like, I I, I considered that line of play, obviously, yeah. but I didn't play my fourth, my eighth, whatever, eighth land. I held it. Right, right, right. To... Because I, I wanted him to tap for it. I mean, he has to have Spell Pierce. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Mulligan, you know, getting two cards out of his hand seems perfectly fine, too, in that situation, though. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, but like in that case, like, he's going to still lose Jace. I still have Splendor's win. The problem is then he's fully untapped. The next, If I try to do this sure. the next turn, like, he, he could get me with, like, an end of the Royal, or he could have just tons of counters open. Like, I played him into a spot where he only had three land. Right. Like, I mean, it's just like playing poker. Sometimes you get called. Like, I, sure. I, 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 like, I could run this line, you know? I think this is a better line. But the thing is, if the Jace just resolves by itself, I'm going to win, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't have gone for the twin combo if that was the case. Right. Um, uh, Paul shared a great play with me. He got leveled by Nick Spagnola. So turn three... This is at the 5K or the, the next day. So Nick plays a third turn... Third turn... Stoneforge Mystic. Um, on the draw. Just plays it. And Paul... Mana leaks and Nick has a blue open. Sucks. Puts it into the bin. So Paul untaps and taps out for Jace. And then he then he pierces the Jace, untaps, <laughs> solves his own Jace while Paul's tapped out. It's like such a beat down. He's like, I thought you would have protected the Stoneforge. But then like I'm like I, I walk, kind of past I walk I walk Paul through it and I'm like, yeah, but if if he resolves the Stoneforge there and you resolve the Jace, he still loses. <laughs> you just bounce his stone forge with your Jace, and he just... What's he going to do now? Tap two mana again to play it? You're just going to bounce it again, and you're going to have, like, Counterspell into the Royal in your hand. Like, he's done if he... Instead, he crushed you. Like, that was a nice one. I can't believe I just said that out loud. Now people will know to make that play. <laughs> so... That's a nice play. Yeah. So there was some conversation today on Twitter. It was like Sam Stodd and Ted Knutson, and I think you got drawn into it, and Kibler was in it. 
and I was involved, and we were all talking about, uh, you know, it was basically Evan was claiming that Standard hasn't changed, Callblade is still the best deck, it's clearly the best deck, nothing's changed, don't bother getting excited about Standard. I mean, he seemed pretty, I mean, I mean pretty, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but he certainly said nothing has changed regarding Standard. I mean, which all prompted those a lot are of ludicrous. Callblade's not close to the best deck. I mean, it's it close was, in the sense that you're second place. It, you're saying it was the best deck. You 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 would see that. My contention is that prior Cobblade is the greatest first. standard deck of all time. However, it's wind. Oh, is that one cute? She has no clothes on. Or she not? Doughy. Uh, the uh, my contention is that Cobblade is the greatest standard deck of all time. And I'm actually going to write an article about. It. It's like my love letter to Cobblade. I think. It's just this wonderful deck. It embodies everything great about Magic. Um, however, its window is now closed. You can still play it. It's still a good deck in the sense that, like, Rug is a good deck, or was a good deck, or Valica. These are decks that you can play that are capable of winning tournaments. But it is no longer the runaway best deck. It is no longer the best deck, let alone the runaway best deck. And I mean, I'm just, I'm being completely practical when I talk about this. It's, there's a big difference between a deck that you play really good cards and you gain an incremental value, uh, incremental advantage with each of them, and that you build these incremental advantages together into a dominant position that rewards skill, which is what Cobblade is. It is differentiated significantly from a deck like Fairies, which plays very powerful cards, but, uh, kind of rotes its way into dominant positions and um, rewards good play versus mediocre play in a much more marginal fashion because the cards are that much better than the other cards in the format versus a deck like Exarch Twin where your opponent, if he doesn't understand the format, I'm sorry, doesn't understand the matchup that he's in or, you know, approaches the format with a fundamentally flawed assumption like Inquisition of Kozilek is good against this deck or Spellskite is Trump against this deck, will just always lose, and who will lose quickly. Like, I mean, they're just dead on turn four. It's, 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 not, it's not even interesting. The, uh, uh, I mean, there's a big difference between power level of these decks. You're, if your opponent is playing Cobblade and he loses the roll, he's just dead. Like, there's almost no way he can win the game. Like, he can never play a spell. He either plays it on turn two, if you have a mana leak, he's dead. He's literally just dead. He can never play spell. If he loses the roll, he's going to lose the match because because you're on the play in game three. So, does Splinter Twin have bad matchups? Uh, and I lost I, the White Weenie. Paul lost the same White Weenie deck. Uh, it wasn't really White Weenie. It was Soul Sisters. Yeah, right? Soul Sisters. But and it's playing the Lean and Relic Order, yeah, Phyrexian Metamorph that's combo irrelevant. also. Like I beat my opponent through an infinite life, and I didn't even get the combo against him. I just got. I just got Basilisk Collar, Inferno Titan, and he conceded with the assumption that I would deck him with Jace or Elixir of Immortality sometime in the future. Right. Uh, but no, it's just, he played second turn Sutured Priest, third turn Sutured Priest, all three games, and had Brave the Elements for my Pyroclasm every single game. So, I mean, I don't know, is that, is that a bad matchup? <laughs> it doesn't sound like a good one. <laughs> if he only draws one Sutured Priest, I win. How about that? Why do you win on one Sutured Priest? Because I will bounce or kill it. Okay. But the problem is he had, he had so many Sutured Priests, and he had Brave the Elements. So what, let me ask you a question. What happens just if... just drew them. What happens if the Cobweb decks just go towards, like, Sutured Priest and Brave the Elements and cards like that? It's irrelevant. The big difference in his deck is that he has, like, a 
50-50 or a million, a million a Johnny's Pride Mate that I actually have to respect. When you're getting attacked by a million power creature, it's a big difference if you're getting attacked by a 1-1. One, one. Right. Okay. But the idea being that with a Sutra Priest on the board, you can't. Go on. It's the same as if they have an 0-4 wall. It's just this thing that you have to deal with before you kill them. Okay. The difference with, in that deck is they have that thing. It, it's a hard stop on your combo, and they have a million, million guy there attacking. Even like, even like a, like a six-six the Johnny's Pride Mates are not like it's enough to put you on a real clock. Right. It only costs two mana, right. and it gets big very, very quickly. So like third, third, fourth turn, they're attacking with like a five-five. That's a very fast clock. So you. You have to stop their sutured priest, and you have to not get killed. Both of those things have to be true. Kalei can't do that. Their big threat costs five. Like, you know, it, <clears throat> I, I don't think that that's a legitimate way to go about it. And, but I think it's kind of cool if they have an infinite combo that's completely irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> you can just infinite over the top them. I mean, or you just deck them. Like, if you're not dead, they can't win. Like, if you're, like, untapped with no creatures in play on, like, turn six, they're not going to win. Like... <laughs> Like, it's just, it's a, their plays are basically irrelevant. Like, I mean, honestly, it's like, imagine it's turn 10 of a game, we're in top deck mode, and you draw a 1-1 with a marginal special ability. Is that, is it? I mean, that's always the problem with any of those cards, right? Yeah, I mean, I, that's why you don't play that deck. However, Paul and I both lost to it, so. Interesting. Is that your only loss of yeah. the... I, in unintentional drew with Darkblade, but I had him killed. We just happened to be in extra turns. And I probably made a mistake. Like, the, right. the, the thing is, I also probably made a mistake. So what happened was, it was a in, really interesting game. He had he had Surgical Extraction in Game 2. So I sideboarded a really weird way so that I wouldn't get destroyed by Surgical Extraction. And I had Elixir of Immortality in my deck because he, he actually... I conceded to being decked, even though I hadn't lost the games. I wanted enough time to win game three. So I only had, like, eight cards left in my library, and he had and he had sort of body of mine to play. And I could have played through it, but I didn't want to take the time to, like, see figure out what cards were left in my library. I had no combo pieces left. He had extracted both my Spiltry Twins and my Exarchs, so I would have had to play, like, pretty pretty insane to get through it. So game three, he had four walls, probably more than one. Uh, sort of body in mind, and... Black Crusader. So Black Crusader wearing Sword of Body in mind is pretty insane, right? So I, even though I had Inferno Titan, I couldn't take it out. And even though I had Jace, I couldn't take it out. So I actually had to string together like Into the Royal and... Because he also had the O4 wall. So to string together like Into the Royal, Manic Mandal, Jace, and Inferno Titan together to lock down his board. But it took forever, right? So the problem was... He drew multiple surgical attractions and got rid of all my End of the Royals and all my Infernal Titans. So, like, at that point, like, I, I get Jace, and then I just, like, manage his game, and I just don't have a lot of ways to win. I mean, I do. I, I have the combo in my deck, but I neutered the combo. I didn't play four copies of either spell. Right, right. So I was just intentionally... Your shave numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah I intentionally thoughts. made it so that I would not get destroyed by surgical extraction. So, like, I had, like, one of a lot of cards, or, like, two. So there's no consistent draw here. And I just randomly had... Um, like, I even had three preordains. Like, so, um, I got, so I just randomly had my elixir in play. So I shoved two lands with my, with my Jace. And I'm not going to die to damage. Like, I have, like, a ton of poison counters on me, but he can't attack anymore. So, like, like he, he's just going to, you know, like, he has an 
uh, what do you call it, a crusader, but he's never going to attack me. Like, it's, uh, uh, the game's not going to go that way. Like, I have, like, Seagate Oracles or something like that, or, like, just, I'm not going to get attacked. Uh, and I have Consecrated Sphinx in play. So, and he's at sort of three. So, uh, and I have an Exarch in my hand. So, I just, like, I have spare mana, so I just randomly shuffs my deck with the, uh, and I have, like, 15 life at this point. So, it's, and the, my top card was Splinter Twin. And the reason it sucks is he had, he was, he was in top deck mode. I have a Jason play. The top deck's Gideon. Now, if I had had the Splinter Twin, I could have just attacked into his Gideon and killed it. And then attacked and killed him on turns three and five. But instead he just plays it on turn two. And I, just, I basically have to, like, brainstorm, fate seal or whatever into, I have, like, in fact, I have, like, preordained, brainstorm, whatever, like, and I just don't get the Splinter Twin. So I attack his Gideon to death, but then I can't... Yeah, you can't kill him. I can't kill him. So, um, which sucks when you have, like, I had a concert. I had a, if, if we didn't happen to be an extra turn, it's like, he is so far behind. It's, and he even got the insane dream. Like, a black crusader with a sort of body in mind hit me <laughs> twice. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's wolves. It's a lot of deck. But I had an elixir. I mean, I had an elixir out. So, but I mean, I wasn't going to get decked and I wasn't going to lose the damage. So, it's... So, uh, talk to me about... We, we, when, when we first started talking about this deck, yeah. we were joking about all the different things you could splinter twin. Oh, I did all those things. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was talking to Ravitz before the tournament, he's like, I don't know about Mike's deck. I'm like, what? It's Deceiver, XR, Splinter Twin combo. He's like, no. From what I've seen, it's just Seagate Oracle Splinter Twin combo. <laughs> and then sometimes he wins with a Jace. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Seagate Oracle... Uh, I mean, that's a... Like, I got, like, Seagate Oracle... I mean, I, like... Playing against probably some sort of, I remember doing this. I don't remember which match it was. My opponent like counterspelled my Deceiver Exarch. I played a Seagate Oracle. He played a small Jace, put a counter down to two. I put a Splinter Twin on it, and then I put him in a position where he had to plus two us every turn. Because otherwise, I'm going to kill his Jace with like bonus Seagate Oracle tokens. So like end of turn, you can like make a token will stick. Right, right. I draw a card and then I make one of my own turn and attack with multiple dudes. So, like so, he's literally just sitting there plus twoing it. So really just plus one it because you're nailing it for one each Yeah, and I'm just hassling him, like, making him, like, use his resources in inefficient ways. Like, that's all you do. Like, the, the thing is that this deck is... That seems like the equivalent of, like, putting a feather at the end of a fishing rod and, like, whirling it at a cat. You know, like, just casting in yeah, the direction of a cat. Here's the thing. Your opponent can only win games against you with those kind of decks by tapping an inordinate amount of mana on their own turn. They have no plays that allow them to take advantage of you on their turn. I mean, on your turn. Where so if they ever tap in on their own turn, they're dead. That's did the, people get rid of sort of feast and famine? They had it. Okay. Like do you, sort that of usually makes it okay to tap a lot of mana on your turn. No, but it's very bad against the card Deceiver Exarch. Right. Because they're coming like four mana to go into an attack and like tap your guy and they're like, oh god, no. <laughs> like <laughs> they're like, oh my god, I, what I bet, what just happened? I believe here? I actually heard multiple of your opponents utter that exact like, phrase. <laughs> like oh my. Oh, God. Like, what is this? I'm like, sorry, brah. <laughs> um, it's bad against Into the Royal. It's, it's bad against everything good. All right, so tell me, explain. I, there was, again, going back to a Cedar match. Mm -hmm. There's some sequence where he has Gideon. Okay, he can't kill my guy. That's the awesome part. Of All right, it. he has Gideon. You have Consecrated Sphinx. Yeah, so I... And you... Put Splinter, Splinter Twin on the Consecrated Sphinx. So, because I didn't want to attack his Consecrated Sphinx with my... With my 
with my, I'm sorry, attack his Gideon with my Consecrated Sphinx because it would get killed by Gideon. So of course I didn't think about the fact that the same thing would be true if I had Splinter's Coin on it. But the thing was, Rob couldn't really kill it. I actually missed a draw two, and Rob wouldn't let me get it on the, on the May, because a judge was telling me, like, he's like, stops us in the middle of, like, the turn, he's like, you have to play faster. So then I'm like, I'm like yeah, whatever, dude. So I'm like, oh, I didn't draw. He's like, yeah, you didn't. I'm like, come on. <laughs> so then I didn't miss. Then eventually, after I killed this stupid Gideon, I drew four he, cards one turn. Why didn't he kill? Because he's dead. I have eight cards. I pass the turn with eight cards in my hand every turn. You're really going to try to kill my <laughs> Consecrated Sphinx? That's what you're going to do? The Gideon's the only thing keeping him alive. <laughs> you can still kill. Well, really? Was this Gideon dead? No, if he doesn't kill my... Th if he doesn't say, attack Gideon every single turn, I will just kill him. I have... Every time oh, I have eight right, cards right, in right, my hand. The right. first one of the Consecrated Sphinx, I made both of us draw. What do you... What do you think happens? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sick when you had your Consecrated Sphinx baby Jace out. Yeah, I'm like, both draw. I'm like, I'm like, I was like, oh, I wonder why Mike's so big on the baby Jace for this tournament. And then you're like, I'll draw three, you draw one. And it's like... Like... <laughs> 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 Baby Jace is better than Big Jace in this tournament. Well, especially because on turn four, on, on four mana, you want to be winning and... Yeah, like, I mean, you can cover it with a Spell Pierce, which you play. Or, like, it's by where you have, like, four Spell Pierce and a Dispel in those matches. Right. So. Dispel is so good. Oh, my gosh. So Dispel is... Counter target instant, and it costs a blue... I counted the following. I liked how... I was talking to Frando about that yeah. card yesterday, and he's like, yeah, it's good to have a hard counter. Yeah. Like a hard counter, huh? Yeah, it, it hard countered the following cards. <laughs> Go for the Throat, Doomblade, Flash Freeze, Mana Leak. Like, uh... People are doing all their maths on Spell Pierces and Mana Leaks, and you're just like... Dispel. Yeah. Then they fight you, and then you nail their other counter spell with Mana Leak or something. Oh, the reason this is good... Write this down, kitties at home. The only way most sex can interact with your the Deceiver Exarch part of your combo is with Mana Leaks. They only have so many mana leaks. Okay, that's the thing. So, if they mana leak a Jace or something, they're probably feeling pretty good. Oh, I didn't get Jace. But that's one mana leak down. They can't interact with your Deceiver Exarch any other cards in their deck. So even if you cast Deceiver Exarch, they're like mana leak, and they're like, oh, that's pretty good. They no longer have a mana leak for your Inferno Titan or Consecrated Sphinx. They're like, have a handful of Spell Pierce, fine. Right. <laughs> they can go for the throat. Yeah, but it's, it's, it gets value the turn it comes down. Like... Some insane thing happens to you. Did you uh, you hear about what Julian was sideboarding for that matchup? Yeah, the threaten. The White Weenie deck actually did that to me in the game I won. Because I had to use my Jace. Playing uh, active aggression. Yeah. So they go to Splinter Twin, the Deceiver Exarch, and you're just like, respond by taking it. Splinter Twin resolves. You have an untapped. <laughs> hasted. Into, hasted. Into, you have the combo. Yeah. Yeah, you need three mana. But I mean, it seems like it's hard to resolve. Seems like you're not going to necessarily go for it in that scenario. There, I mean, it depends on how the metagame shifts. Like, I don't think people are going to play. Like, right now, people are playing this game of twisted images and O4 walls. I'd be surprised if people continue to play that game. Twisted image seems really good right Why? now. Why? It kills O4 walls. It kills O4. Yeah, wall. but it's a re like, the thing is, you start with the presumption that O4 wall and Inquisition of Kozilek are good cards against Splinter Twin. You will come to some conclusions that. <laughs> You start with these very flawed assumptions, right? Like, sure. Into the Inquisition of Cosmic is basically irrelevant. You're like, the, the, one of the reasons it's bad is like, th this happened a lot when I was playing my opponents. They're like, their mana is. The thing about Inquisition atrocious. is it's pretty good against Cobbler decks, all right? Yeah, but their mana is. You look at their board, and they have like a plains, a swamp, and like a. Like a. a 
attacked. They, they uh, don't actually have a plains or a swamp. Let's be honest. No, no, they have literal plains and swamp. But they 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 have too many plains and swamps in their deck because they have they have um, marsh flats as like their bridge. So they have to play a bunch of plains oh. and swamps, and then they have like a tapped uh, creeping tar pit that will never get activated. Like they don't have the mana to produce, and you're just like, look at them. Like, they could never beat you. Like they don't have enough blue. Like. Right. And you're just like right. The, fight, the, fight, the fights are actually really easy when it comes to the counter magic, right? Yeah. Because so like, the Inquisition, you like, you can also just you can also just eat their blue. I mean, like, I just didn't even spell. They don't have islands. I yeah, I even spell Pierce Inquisition sometimes. Like they Inquisition you with like a blue up, and you're like, all right, like here's my hand: Deceiver Exarch, uh, Seagate Oracle, Small Jace, Mana Leak that I didn't cast, and like some lands. What are you gonna take, brah? Like, take Deceiver, Exarch. Okay, tech edge you, end of turn, untap little Jace. <laughs> They're like, yep. Like, congratulations. Your deck does nothing. <laughs> or like, they're like, Overwalls, they, they, like, I was getting attacked by Overwalls carrying swords. I'm like, wow, a Deceiver, Exarch just blocks that. So does a Seagate Oracle. Like, ho-hum, <laughs> a block. Like, like, this is not how it's supposed to go. <laughs> It is actually how it's supposed to go. These cards don't do anything. Like, they, they only do something if your opponent is completely unprepared for them. Sure. Or, like, they're playing, like... like, like I don't know. Like, I, I don't I, I don't want to get into this mode where I just think that my deck is just the best. But I, but don't think just, like, I don't think you've actually said... You've said that your deck is the best at beating Callblade. I think... Is that a fair statement? Um, my deck is certainly the best at beating Callblade. Okay. <laughs> so you could say that. That's a fair statement. I mean, it's statement. also the best in the mirror match. It's like... I played against... Grixis, Paul played against Grixis, I played against Rug Splinter Twin. Those matches are so easy. What does the Rug Splinter Twin deck I look like? I thought they were going to be advantaged because they have Lotus Cobra. Right. But like I talked to McGee after, he's like, yeah, but like you have all these like Seagate Oracles and Jaces to dig for your combo. That's what I love about your deck. Like, and all I have is like three Splinter Twins and like not enough blue. So like I just like looked at his board and he's like, I would just tech edge all of his blue. <laughs> or, like, or sometimes you just tech edge their red. I'm like, like, um, I, I literal like, cast an Exarch tapping his Misty Rainforest one game, just so he'd be forced to break it. Like, he had another island, so I'm like, tapping it's irrelevant, I can't go for the combo here, if he has a mana leak, he's still gonna be able to counter me. But now, if he draws a future Lotus Cobra, that can't make red anymore. Right, right. So, um, he's just like, oh, that's the worst. I'm like, yeah, your Lotus Cobra sucks now. We're just tapping your Misty Rainforest. Like, yeah, we don't, we want to play a long game, I'm fine with that. Like, you're going to tap out for a, pre a Precursor Golem or for a Inferno Titan? That would be my dream if you did that. <laughs> Please do. I, I thought that they would be advantage because, like, oh, man, Lotus Cobra seems really powerful. They can take a really explosive turn. But the problem is their mana is so bad. And they, they didn't even have Tech Edge, right? How can they, right? I don't know. I shredded all my opponents with Tech Edge. Like, like I, I played against someone, they had, like, three Tech Edges in play, and they had a horrible look on their face. And they're like, like, I can't tech edge you. And I'm like, yeah, but I can tech edge you. Uh, I'm going to get your uh, Ink Moth Nexus. You're like, but that one doesn't even tap for like, No, but it can block my... <laughs> block my Consecrated Sphinx. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So, yeah, so, but I just, like, I mean, the strategy itself is the best. Uh, I think Blue Red's about... I mean, I just thought through the things that other people were going to do, and I built my deck in such a way that I would defeat them if they were doing those things. Go, going back for a second to the Twitter conversation, which was about yeah. like whether or not standard had changed. Or, it's obviously changed. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, like just the Soul Sisters combo deck, there's like... Uh, Hawkward finished top 16 of the Star City Open. 
with Ken Adams playing it using Shrine of Loyal Legions. Well, I don't know what that does. Shrine of Loyal Legions is, you know, the shrine sequence. In the, of, I only saw the red one because, okay, like, Julian it's, had it. It's like the white, one, the white one's like that, except it makes 1-1 one, one near tokens. Next one with their tokens? Well, you make every every upkeep, it's two mana to cast, every upkeep, you, you put, put a token a on it. Every time you play a white spell, you put a counter on it, you may. Yeah. Julian probably. Forgets. You know, probably 50-50. Uh, and then three mana sack, uh, you can make white, you know, whatever, one artifact mirror token. Are they oh, ones or one ones? One ones, they're mirror. And it costs two? It costs that two. That seems like an insane card. <laughs> it's that really if this good. five years ago, I would want to play. Yeah. But now... <laughs> But I realize that you're just supposed to play with Jaces and stuff that I wouldn't do. That. Right. But the card seems it seemed very good in Hawkwind. I mean, sure. If you say so. Yeah. I mean, but you... I mean, you can't really play Hawkward. Like, but there's I, Deceiver Exarch. I'm just play. saying that there's different decks. But, but my question is, why was... How much Splinter Twin was there in the Star City Opens? I don't know. I mean, I just read the commentary by players, and they're like, which is the best version of Splinter Twin was a question that, that, uh... Um, Glenn just, Yes, including Glenn asked. And people are like, oh, I think the black version's the best. You need the you need the black to push through your combo. No, you don't. <laughs> you just, like, make them tap mana on your own turn, and then cast Jace, and then eventually you just get whatever you need, and you out-mana them. Like, they... People don't... I think that they don't realize yet, at this point, that the fight is about mana, not about cards. Right. Like you would agree with that watching the matches. Right? Absolutely, Ab- like, absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of why I was phrasing the question about the the, ma- the, the play with Cedar because that was all about just like counter spells that required mana. Like, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I played him into a spot where I'm like, he's only. Oh, no, I'm not. Three. I'm like, not arguing that anymore. I'm saying, but that's. Yeah. I agree. I'm saying. I'm using it to illustrate <laughs> the fact that I, I see what you're talking about. That it's all just about like how much mana do you have untapped? How much do you have to pay for things? And uh, you know, and if your opponent doesn't have mana, they they can't do anything. It, the thing is like. I don't think it's overstating to say this. If you go first uh, with this deck, I don't know a deck that can break a 40% win percent. I, I, I think 40% is generous. Like, I think I would win 75%. I think 75% is too low. But the games I would win against Callblade, just winning. Because I lost every single flip but one on the day. And I had to, and at least five times in the Swiss, my opponent played a second turn Stone Forge Mystic on the play, and I had no other recourse but to just hit the Royalist. And in one of those games, like against Fallenus, he duressed me on the first turn, then played a Stone Forge Mystic, and I had to just into the Royalist. You know how many freaking cards I'm down at this point? I won every single one of those games. Like, if you're on the play, like, I mean, it's like my round six match or something, like, I'm like, land, prayer, didn't go. My opponent's like, land, prayer, didn't go. Like, I'm on second lane go. He's like, Stoneforge Mystic, I'm like, Mana Leak. He's like, all right, untap, um, you know, Squadron Hawks or something. All right, end of turn, Seaver Exarch, tap your remaining land. There's no card. I mean, they they either have the black Phyrexian card or they're dead. Right. You know, untap and Squadron Or you just play Jace. Like, it doesn't, like, any of those sequences is enough. If you, there's no coming back in this, in this deck. Like, when, when control decks could do stuff like this, at least the game's going to go for 20 more turns. This deck just kills you. This deck's kind of... You know what this deck kind of is? It's high tide. That's the deck. Oh, high tide? Is it high tide or is it, like, donate? It's high tide. Well, it's... it's it philosophically feels like, donate. It feels yeah. like donate it's a, it's a four then three. It's a three then four rather than a four then three. But it's... But it's, it plays like high tide. You play these games over mana. High, high, tide, high tide to me feels like... High tide is just kind of like... There's at some point... You put a bunch of coins into the machine... Yeah. And you pull the lever on high tide, right? This is... 
Yeah, but Sony Let's make a donate. You have this distinct... That's not how I play Sequence of... Like, <laughs> like, this is how I play... I mean, oh, so people ask me, what are you going to play at Star City Invitational? Or, like, what are you going to play? I'm like, I would for sure play High Tide. But like, why? People have all these cards that are, like, good against you. I'm like, I never lost to Blue Deck, or, like, Blue Counters Blue Decks when I played High Tide back in 99. I don't see why I should lose now just because they have Mental Misstep. I have Mental Misstep, too. I don't think they understand how magic works. <laughs> I mean, especially Legacy players. You just look at which decks people play, like... I don't know, 65% of players play unplayable decks. But I have some secret tech. I have no moto, no computer right now, I cannot test. I, I don't know what to do. Because, like, I realized it on the way over here, thinking about the fact that I have no computer. I grinded, like, 40 tournaments the week before this, this tournament, and I won 75% of them. And even though I wasn't playing blue-red, like, sharpened my skills pretty good. Like, We've talked about this. Yeah, before. I mean, like, I won 75% of 40 tournaments that I played, and I'm like, ugh, playing pretty well right now. I was playing so well that I was like, oh, maybe I'll play mono-white control. Thank God I did not do that. <laughs> what, what else you did? Now, I mean, this is a long day. Like, I want to, you know, you're in the top 16. I wanted to stick I around. I wanted to stick around and watch you play. But I got to tell you, I was exhausted, and all I did was three booster drafts. I did everything right. I went to bed at 10 p.m. the night before. I got up before my kids, which never happens. Right. I was, like, completely well-rested. I was, like, going to the finals. I was completely energetic. I taurined up. I brought... What does that mean? Oh, I bought, like, four Red Bulls. I drank them periodically through the day. Kept hydrated. Brought a snack. I snacked before the finals. I was completely fresh, but I pretended I was I was tired. From the top. Oh, you guys are so young. Pretty tired. <laughs> Reed Duke's pretending like he doesn't know who I am. He's like, it's like, oh, do you play any moto? Like, you ever do that? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a little bit sometimes. But like everybody's just like, oh, I really liked your book, like all this stuff. I'm like, you know, I'm a big fan of yours, Reed. He's like, he's like, yeah, same, same. And I'm like, <laughs> but he's like, oh, wait, I think I <laughs> one of those. So I just played along with him. I'm like, come on, <laughs> we write for the same site. <laughs> your faces are often next to next each, to each other. other. But he's like, oh yeah, it's pretty like, Come on, so. uh uh, it was good. It was, it was good game. I appreciate it. <laughs> he is a superb effing magic player. He's really good. He's really good. Uh, these are the, the following players are really good. Reed's really good, and Shields is really good. I mean, Shields is an architect. He wasn't a he, mirror. He wasn't at the event, but throw Bing into that mix. Bing is really good. I've watched Bing play. Wasn't that impressed. I mean, not that I'm, I'm, I'm saying he's bad. But, like, I mean, Reed tanked on all the right things, tanked on all the right turns. I mean, he, he might have made one mistake. I don't know. Like, he tapped six mana on his turn. Like, he won a fight over Jace, got his Jace down. He had two mana open. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm definitely going to win. And then he, like, tapped the last two to play the 0-4 wall, and then he's just definitely dead. Like, like all right, mana leak that. Like, I didn't even have to fight. Like, if, if you were just going to leave up two, I was going to win anyway. Uh, but, I mean... What do you do? Do you not? His deck can only win with uh, with creeping tar pit if he doesn't tap like a ton of mana on his turn. Like his threats are all worm coil engine, Jace, Jace, Karn, Liliana. So you're talking about wait, what? What deck is this? Black blue control. I don't know how he can, uh, how he sideboard. I should. Ask I love him. I love Liliana by the way. I think he if he, if he was smart he would have sided in his Nighthawks for sideboarding, but at least he wouldn't get. Because he was on the play in game three, like maybe you just play a Nighthawk and try to have a clock in play. Because he can't win otherwise. Like, like 
I, I had a double big chase draw, so I just like... And, you know, and give it, like, maybe he could use the hyperbole of magic players to his advantage. Be like, attack you three times with Nighthawk, gain infinite life. <laughs> hey, like, yeah. And then yeah. he's just, he's over the top on well, Tell me what you should do, what you do in this spot. So, I'm on the play. I know I can resolve Big Jace. So I resolve Big Jace. He has like... You're on the play. What I turn is it? Four? My fourth turn. Okay. So I play Big Jace and resolve it. Top of the fourth. Okay, so uh, he has Creeping Tar Pit in play in two other lands. So he either draws a land or he doesn't. Brainstorm or Fate Seal. Uh, I don't know what your hand is, but it feels like it's... I have another Jace. Oh, okay. So Death's Brainstorm, right? So like That seems fine. Yeah, so, I mean, I brainstorm, he's like, shrug, he attacks me, so I'm like, it's exactly what I wanted him to do. Right. So I put my second chase, and I fade sealed on the second one, so I basically got a, a, a time walk. A time walk, walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I get a time walk and a free card, so, I mean, it was awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the question on fade seal then becomes, who do you fade seal? <laughs> I fade sealed me. Okay. Kidding? I don't care what he draws. <laughs> I have Jason play. <laughs> oh, I mean, Reed's really good. Yeah. Like. You just tell, like, the plays he was making, like, where he was tanking, like, he's, like, stops me at certain spots and, like, you know, breaks up my tempo. I mean, he's just, like, the opposite of, I mean, he's, Brad Nelson's a really good player, Reed's a really good player, but they're, they're good in he's, very, very different he's ways. He's an online player who has an impressive physical game to you? No, well, Brad is this overpowering physical game, like, when you play against him. Brad, Brad has a presence yeah. that I think transcends his game. It's not something that's like, just inherent to his game, but you're saying that Reed actually has all the... Vader-y kind of like, I mean, like mind uh, games you that you love in a game of magic. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? So, like in MMA, where people are like, so funny. My wife says, "Stop watching men make love." So, like, I, like, like playing like wrestling or or ultimate fighting on my iPad, <laughs> like downloading apps. He's like, "Stop watching men make love and write your damn book." <laughs> so that's that's a common that's a common statement from my wife. So, Sounds but, like an episode of Arrested Development. Yeah, so, uh, like in MMA, like. There's two guys, like, two muscular guys rolling around on the ground, like, trying to jockey for particular positions that can gain a significant incremental advantage based on two men rolling around on the ground. Like, something that, like, experienced MMA players might, uh, might do is, like, get one hand free and then cover their opponent's mouth mouth and nose with it, where it's, like, doesn't hurt them. And they don't... Ex things like throwing punches expends energy, and you have to spend so much energy keeping your body taut so that you don't get wrapped up like a pretzel while you're wrestling another person. But they can disrupt the breathing of another player like Reed will stop you while you're like in the middle of declaring something they're like you'll just miss something like, if I wasn't on all cylinders like I, I'm certainly not saying that I played perfectly because I didn't uh, but I did everything right in terms of like I wasn't, I wasn't tired it was 11 and it was 11 at night and I was completely fresh and I knew that I had a dominating matchup going into the finals so like he just did something he's he's very good and shields like Shields was so far behind against Peanaps in the mirror match, and he worked him like a violin. Was Peanaps also in top 16? The top 16 was insane. It was like Peanaps, me, Reed Duke, Shields, Jim Davis, Luis, uh... Ferrando? Ferrando, G-Fabs, Flores. By the way, Ferrando, quietly, I think, of all the blade decks right yeah. now, like, I love his deck. Have you seen his band blade deck? I was, I mean, I wasn't cheering for the fact that he lost because he blocked me in. You know, like, if he hadn't played and won the last round, I probably would have been out on breakers. Right. But I was glad I didn't have to play against him. That deck is really good. Uh, he has ways to interact with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like four beasts within. Yeah, it was annoying. That card is really good. His deck, I think his deck is really exceptional. Like, in terms of, like, 
no one. He he won a he won some sort of like Star City IQ, you know, one of those invitational yeah, qualifiers last week at uh, an Alex Schwartzman store. Top sixteen this event with it this week. Someone else, I think, top eighted the PTQ with it, and it won some event somewhere else from someone who got the deck from playing against it. So, um, the question becomes: Test that deck. Is it good? I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, w- I would like to test that deck. Because I don't think that the way I understand the format, I don't think that. I'll post. I'm gonna post Fernando's. Yeah. I'll post Fernando's blade list I, when I post this podcast. I don't think Blue Red can be. I don't think the 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 strategy of Exarch Twin can be improved beyond the way I built it. But the details can be improved, right? So like, you know, a lot of people don't like cards like Pilgrim's Eye. You know, it might be the case that that card doesn't survive. Did you Did you get Splinter Twin on a Pilgrim's Eye? Not in the tournament. <laughs> I thought about it. But I thought about it, but I was just like, I needed that I'm, for a bingo. I mean, I. I, I, I thought about it, but I had a Deceiver Exarch in my hand. So I'm like, he's just going to equip that freaking, uh, whatever, like, uh, Squadron Hawk and attack me with his Sword of Feast and Famine if I don't do anything. So he did, and I blocked. <laughs> I tapped down his last land with my Deceiver Exarch and killed him. But I could have equipped it with, yeah. like, with Splinter Twin, and it would have been cool. Uh, well, it's like shields. It's like, oh, that's a pretty good strategy. They can never get through it. Yeah. Like, you just keep putting it out. Like, can you really beat someone who's just going to keep drawing two cards a turn, one of which one of which is perfecting his mana, while you can't get through on your thing that requires you to tap a ton of mana on your turn? Right, right. It's just impossible. Like, you're just in this... It's basically like playing against a, a consecrated thing. It's like, you're just eventually going to get destroyed. Like, you have to make a big commitment, but I don't have to tap any mana to do the thing I want. That's the... Whereas you guys have tons of mana to do anything you want. It's okay. So I want to I want to change subject. Talk a little bit again about uh, historical context. Yeah. So you you know you you've sort of knighted Callblade as best deck ever. Best deck ever. Um, people are you know complaining about you know j- you know people are in, in the ban Jace or the ban. That's not that's not the subject here. Yeah. You know, and people are obviously you guys don't see my facial expression. Yeah, you you've seen it. Different people care about different things. Yeah. So the and the thrust of it was that affinity and people are naming all these different like dominant standard decks. Yeah. They said these decks have never been as dominant as Callblade. But not just as dominant, they're just not as good. Here's here's the thing. I don't know I think that while Callblade is obviously the best deck yeah. and one of the best performing standard decks of all time. Of all time that is partially by being tumbled smooth. Yeah, by the Star like, City Open. I, someone, at, someone at Wizards was once talking about card games. They were talking about just competing trading card games to Magic. And the idea that any trading card game that came along was going to be lagging. Yeah, because, because Magic had 13 years of crowdsourced polishing. Yeah. Right? Like, at the time, I think this was 13 years into, into the game's history, so it's like, what, 2007? Whatever, lucky 13. Yeah, and people are just, like, playing the game all the time. People are, like, constantly just smoothing the game over, and the game just is, like, worked. I mean, Callblade's like that. Like, Standard's like that right now. Right? Standard is the, the most thoroughly explored format in the history but of Magic. remember the qualifier I put on. I, not only did I say it's the best of all time, but I said decks haven't been this good in 10 years. 10 years ago, there were decks almost this good. And that was during the height 
of the neutral ground your movie game scrudge match. We had good players playing real life tournaments, innovative deck designers playing in those tournaments. And I don't think any of those decks is as good as Cobbler, but in the span since Napster and Replenish, we have not to Lester like Accelerated Blue, if Zevatog the next year. Jonathan Rubin, who's who's an old time yeah. neutral ground player, yeah. was was playing uh, this weekend and he was he was actually talking about the the old grudge match. And he was just like, Oh my god, the players are the players in PNAPs like it's like oh you had to play against OSIP and you had to play against Eugene Harvey and Zvimashoitz and Finkel. I mean like I mean like look at the yeah. decks that came out of that era. Napster, replenish. Zevatog, my fires. So, like, but the decks question, that are like legendary so, ten years. So my later. question to you is decks that fall inside that ten year period. Yeah. What None happens? What ha- what do you think Jerry Thompson is playing every week okay. at the Star City Open if it's mirrored in block standard let me, let pre-banning? Me, let me let me just explain something. It's people talk about affinity, they use one word, they say affinity, and affinity conjures together a big chunk of things. Right? Sure. Like are we talking about affinity with disciples? Because that's a hell of a lot different than yes. affinity without disciples, okay? <laughs> affinity in block is different from affinity We're not talking standard. about it in block. But affinity with skull clamp is different with affinity without skull clamp, okay? Sure. But even affinity at its most powerful in standard was the third best deck. Maybe the third best deck. It was really, really dominant because... The Hallmark cards of Affinity were only $20. And it's crazy for me to say they were only $20, right? And it, it qualified an assload of people at regionals, played by superb players like Mike Clare's Ascension to be a Pro Tour level player was on the back of Affinity, right? However, you had Red Decks. Goblins was really good still. You know, Dan Paskin style Goblins, you had bidding. And then the fact of the matter is, at the top end, from a statistical performance perspective, Affinity did not touch Green White or 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 Elfin there. I I don't know if that would have been true given the Green White was a glass cannon. Given I mean, like, week in week out standard tournaments with high price payouts, where the best players have two buys and are looking to just play the best deck against Affinity. Uh, is a great deck that we talk about years later. It's also an easily attacked linear. I mean, like, look at the cards they let you play against Affinity. Like, I, how many freaking fifth turn Acroma's Vengeances was I casting back then? It's it's not the same thing. Like, the, the you're talking about decks that rely purely on card power, whereas Cobblade has a combination of card power and the ability to skill, edge, uh, about- and... Customize what about the te- customization. What about mystical teachings and standards? Mystical teachings wasn't even a great deck. It was it was old, only Kiyomotapa <laughs> would win with it. I mean, like they had like a zero percent win percentage against the Tritivore multicolor control decks that I used to play back then. No, never won against those decks. Like, I mean, we're not talking about a high percentage. Legends of Team CMU. How about just gifts? What? How about gifts? You're not, gifts and block is different from gifts and standard. Gifts and standard. Gifts and standard. We fielded Jushi against that. We fielded Urzatron against that. The decks that we actually fielded were way so, better performers. So, so what is it about this? Try, if I want to talk about Heasy Street or Heartbeat, those were much same era as gifts. So what are better decks? So why is this standard? If you have such a dominant deck, why is it number one? Why can you not attack this deck? Misidentification of which cards are the most powerful. It's probably the case that Jace was not number one. 
and then uh, going into into now, and Stoneforge was actually number one. And Stoneforge is even better now. The problem is there's Deceiver Twin. If there were no Deceiver Twin, Stoneforge would be so unassailably number one. You have really good players playing Stoneforge Mystic on the second turn. Any mistakes made by the opponent when the when you play a Stoneforge Mystic on the second turn are almost always lethal. You don't know how long it will take to be lethal. The deck doesn't win that fast, but the game's pretty much over. You make any mistake. Right. right. So, like I was saying, you have to pretty much bounce it, you know, or you have to have some sort of plan against it, or pretty much bone. Um, uh, and it's interesting when you say bounce it because you don't care that you're just giving them another equipment. Who cares about cards? All that matters is the mana. Like, so, so they have like let's and say, the ability to put the card into play for for uncounterable. Let's say your right? opponent has a hundred card hand. Okay, he's a hundred card hand, right? But he only has one blue. You really gonna beat me? Okay. Wait, come on. You have a hundred cards. You have one blue. Let's go. I have five cards. Who wins this game? When we put it that way, you know, doesn't sound so good for the for the Stoneforge Mystic anymore, right? Well, why, why, why? Yeah, so you, so, so you think people could, are just playing incorrectly against the deck? That's what Shields thinks. He thinks he he watched so many people play. Play Callblade, he says they all make mistakes like early in the game. I'm like, she just plays so aggressively, always gets Batter Skull and drops Batter Skull immediately. <laughs> he did that against me, it was awesome. <laughs> game four. Like, I mean, I don't know, he didn't really have much recourse, like, he couldn't feast and fam in a, an 04 wall, right? And just, I'll block it. So, I just, I just had like a Seagate Oracle or something, that, that will stop an 04, you know. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the card's so powerful, and the thing is, it's one of those kind of cards that, like, it's a Guillaume Waffle Topple card. How good it is gets better and better and better based on how good you are. You know, like, sure. cards like Mystical Teachings, like I just said, like, only Guillaume Waffle Topple it. That's the definition of a card where, like, in the hands of a buffoon, it's an expensive two-for-one. In the hands of a Guillaume Waffle Topple, you're dead. You know, it's... So, do you think that throughout this whole... I guess this is the question I'm trying to get, and maybe I'm, I'm fumbling around with the phrasing. During the sim run where it's like week in, week out, six Callblade decks in the top eight of like the Star City Open. Yeah, sure, sure. If in the middle of that, you plop a Pro Tour. Right? Old standard format. Yeah. You plop a Pro Tour. All standard. Right? No no limit. No limited. Yeah. All standard. Is the top eight... Is the top eight mirror the top eight from the Star City Opens in terms of Probably archetype? Not. Probably not. The reason is because the Pro Tour players, a, a good chunk of the very good Pro Tour players don't play test. They just show up and like rely on their on their limited skills, like Shui Nakamura, Martin Juza, you know. Those guys never have sick tech, right? But they have a clever deck, you know, because <laughs> they got from somebody, but like they didn't they didn't grind it in. Am, am, I, am I wrong about this? I mean, some some do, some don't. No, a big chunk of them don't play tests. Uh, I, Yo, think that, Matignon, like, I think that those are exceptions to the rule. But they're super good players, sure. and they don't play tests. Okay, like I think the Kibblers, Brads, Chapins. Uh, why does Paul Rietzel always Paul, have LSV have have, have uh, an outdated Zeppelin uh, deck every single time? Because he's god at Steplinks. Steplinks isn't the best strategy. No, but. But, but Paul, he's got Paul identified that that's the strategy he's best at. Yeah. And he's identified that that's the strategy 
he's put all his limited resources that he has. Yeah, he has a job. He has, he has like, a limited number of res- amount of resources that he can put towards playtesting. And so he's put all those resources to being the best aggro player on the planet. He, the dude is insane at step links, but I bet if he got insane at Jason the Mind Sculptor instead, he would be sure. even more but, successful. But he doesn't, but he doesn't have, the, he hasn't, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just a quirk of his personality. Like, I, I mean, I'm just identifying this thing, you know, like, he does not make the optimal deck decision. And it's, it's not a, I mean, it's, it's not a flaw in his right. ability as a Pro Tour player. He's awesome. Right. But he doesn't have the best deck. What if Petter Brogia put time into mastering Pyromancer's Ascension instead of, you know, Zektar Shrine Expedition? God, what the hell was he playing the last time? Like, a 1-1 living weapon? That was his deck? But he's Petter Brogia, so he, like, finished top 16, right? Like, are you kidding me? Other people are playing with Silvok Lifestab, and he's got, like, the 1-1, 1-1 living weapon in his deck. Let's go! Flare Husky. <laughs> Come on. I mean, some of these guys, like... I, I, so I don't think so. And also the foreign players, like, we had a Grand Prix in the middle, and, like, Wapo Tapa had, like, a six-month-old black-blue control deck with oh, two true, Liliana yeah. Vesses that he top-aided, and he's all, he consistently chooses to draw against Cawblade. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. I don't know. He wins. But, I mean, you gotta think to yourself, Stoneforge Mystic is the kind of card that, of all the players on the planet... Yom Wapatapa would probably be the best at casting a Stoneforge Mystic, and yet he doesn't. He casts like a Vampire Nighthawk. I don't know why. I don't. He could make a Stoneforge Mystic into a Vampire Nighthawk. He has that ability, Stoneforge Mystic. <laughs> Ooh, would you like a Vampire Nighthawk? I can get you one. Would you instead like a Hypnotic Spectre? No, I can get you one that also produces double your mana. How about that? <laughs> They're uncomfortable. You know, he, he could. He chooses not to. I mean, they're Watsi's trying really hard. I, I hope they don't just ruin magic with these like uh, two minutes away. hex proof, whatever. Like they're just like, oh man, we gotta like make some people will not summon small green creatures unless we make them hex proof. But it's just gonna be like. So this is this is the M12 cards. I don't M12 want, mechanics article that was spoiled. I today. really don't want magic to be about idiots with hex proof swordsmen, which is what I'm afraid it's going to be. Like. You know, you know, like Thrawn came out and was like, "Oh, how do you beat a Thrawn?" I'm like, "It doesn't matter." Like my my opinion was like, "That card's not good enough to play." And I was like, "No, Thrawn's super good." And I'm like, "No, it's not playable really. Like you could, it's kind of cute. I don't think you actually have to think about beating it because it's not hard to beat." And then, how many people play Thrawn? Zero. Like just like Phyrexian Obliterator. Like, ooh, what a cute card. Obliterator was, uh, I guess, did well in the Legacy Open. Right, Caleb Durwood was playing Ritual Obliterator. Really? Yeah, apparently. That might be cute. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll play that. I think I'll play High Tide, though. But I, the, I'm really concerned I have no moto. Dark Tide. Bubbling Moth. I'm kidding. Why are you bubbling mucking? I'm not bubbling mucking, but I'm like, cannot contain my secret tech. I'm like, I have a strategy for being the best at High Tide that, like, no one knows and, like... Do you want me to shut off the podcaster and you I'm can tell me? I'm pretty sure, like, it's unbeatable in the mirror. All right, I shut, I and shut I'm off. I'm pretty sure that, like, all these buffoons with their mono blue control decks would never be able to beat you. I've paused the podcast. You're all here. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't. But I have to be able to test it, and I have no moto. And I'm the computer guy. Just come to the office and test. What should I do? Just come to the office and test. My PC isn't powerful enough to run moto. 
you buy it from the same people who sold you your phone? I don't want to get into this. <laughs> I, I'm literally thinking about buying like a, like a small laptop just to play Moto for the next two weeks, and then I'll at least have like a laptop. Oh, because it's Star Six. You're not going to Providence. No. I can't play tournaments Sure. But now, so, should I play in the $75,000 Chicago tournament? I didn't even consider that. But now I'm qualified for it? I'm playing in that. I'm qualified for that, too. The, the EV is insane, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm also qualified for that because I... You won some? I top forward the last time. Oh, sick! Yeah. So we should play that. It's just only standard, right? I have no idea. I have no idea when it is or what it is. I know I'm qualified for it's it. It's in August. And it hasn't happened yet. So, like, I'm really concerned about the Star City Open, the Star City Invitational, because I have no moto to test. I'm like, I, I'm very confident that I can keep up with any metagame. But, like, I mean, but not if I have no playtesting. Certainly, though, Grand Prix Providence is going to impact the legacy portion, right? Don't care. Okay. There's legacy tournaments week in and week out. You really think a Grand Prix is any different? I do. I, I think that quality of players slightly better. The quality of the decks is way better on the Star City. Just look at every single week. AJ Drew, Edgar, and 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 Jerry dominate. There's a reason for that. Okay, or like the Hatfield part, twins. You don't think you part know? of it's having two buys? I mean, I think that. Like, like I mean, they. they get I think two that buys. part of it. I think look at their deck lists are so much better than the deck lists other people are playing. Agree or no? Sure, but they're, they're, it's a joke. How but much they, better they play refined. They is. play refined decks as less as opposed to more. I mean, I could get Drew to play whatever I say. Like that, that I proved that. <laughs> right, but they're playing more refined decks than more like innovative, like brand new decks, right? Generally, not in Legacy. No, okay. Like, look at the deck that Jerry fielded two weeks ago. So, so different than ever the people were playing there. And then they went back to bug this week. So I don't know. Maybe it's like a one move thing. I asked Drew if like the decks would be like the versions of Mono Blue Control would be significantly good enough by the Invitational that if we just played Jerry's deck, I would be at a significant disadvantage. So I'm, I'm going to play either that deck or High Tide, very likely. Or, I mean, like... Or, the thing is, I could try to make... I could try to make uh, Breakfast good enough, because I think Breakfast is the strongest strategy. But the problem is, even if I got Moto in time, I would still not have missteps to play with. So, in, when your entire deck is strategic ones... There's not, a lot of people playtesting over the next two weeks in New York. I can't take time to do it. Like, the... It's, I don't know, my life isn't conducive to that. Sure. I just, like, take a block of, like, six hours, and I just grind, and then I learn things, and I write them down, and then I change my deck list based on the things that I write down, and I grind something else. And when I'm right, I'm right. When I'm not right, I just play whatever the best deck is based on the archetypes that I was grinding. Right. So, and I don't even know if my blue-red deck will be the best deck to use. Like, I'm sure it can be improved. But there's a reason I played Pilgrim's Eye. Like, people are like, let's just play Pilgrim's Eye. Like, what if I put it to you like this? You have the best strategy by far. People don't even realize how much better your strategy is than theirs. The only way you can lose is if you're mana screen. Play Pilgrim's Eye. And Pilgrim's Eye is significantly better than, say, Microsynth Wellspring? What's that? Microsynth Wellspring costs two. It's an artifact. When it comes into play, you go get a basic land and put it in your hand. And if it goes to the graveyard... You also put a land in your hand. It's like Icar, it's like Icar Wellspring. You can block with a Pilgrim's Eye. Okay, well, I'm asking. You can put a Splinter costs, Twin on it. It costs two, now three. I was thinking about playing maybe uh, the following cards I considered playing in that slot. One Gataxian Probe. It's kind of like a Splinter Twin, you know. Zero one mana draw cards. Um, or one. Well, you know, it's safe too. It's kind of nice. Yeah. 
one uh, one prismatic uh, pris- uh, prophetic prism. Great, great. Draws your card and then filters great. your mana. Yeah, I thought that those would be things I recently played. But like, I intentionally played a ton of land. I intentionally played tons of two full ones. I just wanted to play all these cards. Like, I, I knew my opponents would assume that O four wall and Inquisition of Cause like were good against this. How, ex- how exciting was Splinter Twin on the Uh I, I didn't actually get it on in the course of the day. Yeah, you did. Did I? Against yeah, you got it in round one, didn't you? No, I got. Uh, I got. Basilisk I haven't listened Oh, here's, that's what I, so explain to me, you were very excited, you came up to me before round one, you're like, you are going to love my sideboard package. Oh, yeah. Shrink, and you didn't even love it. I mean, I like it. I mean, I stopped sighting it in after <laughs> round five, it I'll seemed, be honest with you. It seemed a little too, you know. No, but the, the, you kind of have to have the Basilisk Collar so powerful. So explain, explain the combo. All right, so it's Trinket Mage, Basilisk Collar, uh, Elixir of Immortality. So it's not just that Brian would like it. But it's about the most humiliating thing that you could do to someone. <laughs> it does seem like something I would have built an entire standard deck around yeah, yeah, so, 15 years ago. So, like, you summon a Trinket Mage, and the Trinket Mage goes and gets a Basilisk Collar, okay? Then you put Splinter Twin on the Trinket Mage. <laughs> <laughs> then you spit out Trinket Mage copies that get uh, that get Elixir of Immortality. You equip the copy with Basilisk Collar and attack with it. And your opponent can't really block because it has Death Touch. <laughs> You gain two because it has lifelink. Then you, then you tap some mana and then reshuffs the elixir of immortality into your deck. So, like, if you have gas in your graveyard, it goes back into your deck. So basically, you just do that every turn. Like, once you have four mana, you just do it every turn. You even need to draw any more lands, or you could just like block with it, whatever you need to do. Or you could block. That's, an, that's yeah. always an exciting yeah. description of a component <laughs> of a standard deck, right? Like, or or you could block with it. Or you could like make a token and block with it, like yeah. I did against like a million million. But Johnny's pride, pride mate, gladly block with trinket mage. Okay, like he's like, oh, give me Interestingly, my trinket mage was very helpful in getting the Stasil's collar, which I will now attach to Inferno Titan. He's like, well, my million life isn't really relevant anymore, is it? No, kill all your guys. He won game three, though. He had three of that stupid sutured priest in play. And then the thing is, Julian pointed out that I should have won the game. He all in attacked me. If I played Exarch before com- uh, before attackers, I played it after to like untap and like into the royal something. If I played it before, I could have double blocked one of his guy. Like, could have tapped one of his infinite infinite Johnny's pride mates. Double blocked one of his priests, so you only had one priest in play. Interroid the other priest and then killed him on my turn. But I didn't. I didn't see it. Interesting. To see if that's a real deck. Did that deck top sixteen? No. I mean, the problem with that deck is it's not blue. <laughs> yeah, it, it just and it's it, like, it, it basically looks at its hand and it's like either I have the cards or I don't. But it doesn't have like a hand where you're like, oh, I don't have the cards that I want, but I have all these cards that I can exchange for other cards. So it's like it's not blue, it's not green, and it's not red. So like any deck that's red can win. Okay, that's that's one of the main rules of Magic. No matter how good the cards are in the format, a deck. How did Julian do with Mono Red? He won a trial on Friday. Yeah. Uh, but, or whatever, by trial, whatever. And then he missed top eight on Breakers. So uh, he went to the last one. I think he conceded to Luis so, so Luis could get in. So the winner was going to get in. So he was in position. Yeah. Uh, four coughs, four. Yeah, just solid. Four 
Shrine of Burning Rages. Patrick Sullivan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, right. So oh, the Shrine of Burning Rages should take out a core Firewalker. Yeah, it's awesome. He did not have four of that card. No? He had extra in his sideboard, so he couldn't have four. Okay. I don't think he had four total. I think he only had three total. Oh, uh, maybe three total. I, two I, I love that card. That card also just builds up. You play it on turn two, your opponent doesn't have an answer for it. You you build three Can you just play it in a non-red deck and then just like let it sit there being a time bomb? You could. It seems not as exciting. But like the ability to play it in a red deck, play it on turn two, play a couple spells, but get counters, and then have like this critical turn where you're just like stagger shock you, mag, you know, burst yeah, yeah, lightning yeah. you, untap, and then big. do something else, and then pay three and can you. And it's uncounterable, basically. Right. Yeah, so Julian's like, you know, he, he had one loss before he conceded. I think he conceded two loss. Yeah. You know what his loss was? Cobblade. You know how many times he played against Cobblade? Once. So it might tell you something. He's like, yeah, I just keep playing against these idiots with Rug. <laughs> Their mana doesn't work, they have a Lotus Cobra, I kill it, and then they're dead. Play a Precursor Golem. That seems not good against a I mean, like, red deck. It's just, it's like, I mean, as long as I'm not playing against Cobblade, then, like, it's like, Cobblade doesn't seem that bad, so, like, then he comes down, he's like, yeah, I played against Cobblade, it was not good. <laughs> It's like, why did they make that deck? <laughs> you got Red White Sword. <laughs> Do anything ever. Get his sideboards all manic vandals and shatters. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's a deck you can sort of just pick up and play optimally. Red? Yeah. Why? I think red is a deck. I think red is a deck that's demonstrated. It's been demonstrated that the players who win with that deck are specialists. Are players who have optimized their match skills. They are very good at setting a fire with very, very little kindling. Like, we have one piece of soggy newspaper and a wood chip. It's like, excellent. I can do 20 with that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, whenever I try to play red, I'm not successful. Yeah. Uh, I only am allowed to play three right. colors, though. That's the problem. Okay, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Are you yeah. caught up? I'm not on episode seven. Do you, can you, do you have a... The... I'm, not watch, I'm not watching it on here. Because here's what happens if I watch episode seven. I have to wait two weeks um, for episode eight. Yeah, it's good. I mean, that seems Two terrible. weeks ago was sick. What about this week? Episode six? Yeah, what, what happened? This Serio, do some sword fighting. <laughs> what else happened? Drunken Robert in the, the woods. <laughs> Robert goes on a hunt. Oh, I mean, like, I didn't realize just reading the book, like, how forceful Eddard must have been, like, saying, giving the big F you to Gregor Clegane and Tywin Lannister. is like... That was insane. I mean, this is like... Littlefinger the, is such a stud. Like... That, that, so, yeah, you should have stopped listening, by the way. We're probably doing a little spoilery stuff cares? here. Well, I'll, I'll post, like, at the hour and 20-minute mark. We talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> talking, uh, at the hour and 15-minute mark. Um, also, the scenes with Daenerys are so good. She... I, I think... I know people didn't like her. Why? People, people seem to... I love her. People seem to not like her casting. The, the casting of that actress... She is so good. She's everything I would have wanted that character to be. A babe? Not just that, but I mean, I mean, just the, the ability to... She doesn't have to, that many lines, actually. You know, like, she's very... Her lines are very quiet. But, like, the, like she's just assuming that mantle of power and strength. I love that. I really dislike the fact that they characterized the first sex between her and Drogo in, like, the first or second episode is kind of very rapey. In the book, it's not, you know? Like, sure. Uh... 
But I think I think you have to make some changes for TV. Yeah, but like, like she, it's, it's she, really believable that a, she gets raped by this big barbarian and then she's like devotedly in love with him now. And like, unless it's in some she effed, up, she's, she's, effed up relationship, she's you know? subsumed. And, so like, she's she's. I mean, first of all, that I would say that it's not. I mean, he may do, do the he may commit the physical act. Yeah, but it's really her brother who does that to her. Yeah, but the thing. So is, and 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 that and that gets sorted out. Yeah, but the thing is, like, in the book, at least, like, she's in this spot, right? But women of her station are used to getting married off to other nobles, right? Sure. So, like, that's not different, okay? Despite the fact she's young, but it, well, she's been bled or whatever, so it's it, it's okay. I mean, and the mores of this society are very different from the mores of our society. Sure. But the thing that concerns me is Drogo didn't rape her, you know? Like, it's, like, in the show, he's like, he's this big barbarian forcing himself on her. But in the book, she's like, she just doesn't know about this stuff. She just hasn't experienced it yet. But she like falls in love with him, and she and he's gentle with her. You know, even when the, when they're like first together. And then in the in the in the TV show, it's just like you know he barbarians up, and then it doesn't really explain why she becomes devoted to him. You know, and they're like so clearly I don't, like, I don't, devoted I don't, to him. I don't each take other. her as being devoted to him. I think I take her as being devoted to her cause of. She's wearing like the freaking leathers. Be like, uh, I am Khaleesi of this. Yeah, tribe. I'm, right, and of this tribe. Like, I I I look at it as her. Accumulating in, in the power book, and it's strength. It's very clear that Drogo is devoted to her, and she's devoted to Drogo. She wants to please Drogo. She wants to, you know. I, mean, I think. I think that. To I, think, a I, think that together, I think that. To some, a life together. Really, I think that you know? some subtleties, uh, some 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 subtle stuff that goes on, and some internal stuff that goes on in a character's head just gets lost on TV, and you can't do it. And you have to go a slightly different direction. Two weeks ago, a scene that's not in the books. Between Robert and Cersei, we're like, what's going on in this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it's like the best scene I've ever seen on television. It's so good. It's really good. Uh, Catherine says the killing is better than Game of Thrones. Thoughts? I I love the killing. I'm super happy with it. She's like the two best shows on TV, but the killing's better. I don't know. I think they're very different. It's hard to it's hard to compare them. Stoneforge Missing and Jace are very different. Yeah, it's one of them's. I mean, they're really. I good love cards. I love the killing, but I'm gonna always look and I I look forward to Game of Thrones more. I mean, I don't even look forward to the killing that much. I like it fine, but like to me, like all the shows on AMC are so insane, and the killing's nowhere near as good as Breaking Bad. In my opinion, so. Oh, I think it's I think it's better than Breaking. You Bad. You haven't seen season three of Breaking Bad yet, right? Uh. So I might have. When was when was season three? Just ended. Oh, has it been season, on? Yeah. Oh no, I haven't seen it yet. It's no, it's, it's, it was on last summer or whatever. Alright, this it's is gonna be a spoiler, so if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, okay, so the last two, the last episode that I saw, the cliffhanger that yeah. I saw was um, The Gunshot. If no, you don't know what I'm talking about, then you haven't seen season three. The cliffhanger I yeah. saw was the cliffhanger with the chemist that um that they brought in yeah. to replace him, and uh, Jesse goes to his Jesse apartment. Jesse goes to his apartment. That's season two. That's season three. Oh, that's season. I've seen that. One. The second to last episode of that season is the greatest drama hour I've ever seen on television. Not the final episode, which was also very good. The it's, second it's, last one is the best episode I've ever seen. So I don't know how any show could be better than the best thing I've ever seen. Because the killing, because Breaking Bad veers into cartoon. Okay, I I, I like it. But it views into cartoon. Breaking Bad is impossible. Right. The killing is far less impossible. They're, they're completely different animals, right? It's, in fact, the killing is utterly plausible. Oh, yeah. It's so pedestrian, in fact. But it did a really good job of like, depicting pedestrian events in an interesting way. 
Right. Would you agree with that? It's a good example of the killing. I would say that it's a realistic portrayal of grief, crime, and politics. Um, so basically, the wire. <laughs> I, I I think it's different than the wire, also. Um, like the wire doesn't really delve into civilians too much. I can see that. The wire is more interested in depicting like specific types of characters. Does a good job of it. There's so much, so much to see. I've been, uh, I've actually just been devouring. I've Arrested Development. I've watched Arrested Development. I watched it when it was on, but I've never sat down and watched it like in sequence. You were the first person to tell me that you thought the Thirty Rock exceeded Arrested Development in terms of how great a comedy is, and I agree with that. Actually, I, I, I used to just argue. I, I think that there was a tradition that started with Malcolm. The second season of Malcolm was like pretty much the best comedy that had ever been on TV at that point. I don't agree, but okay. The second, the first. I like Malcolm. In the, I like Malcolm in the Middle. I don't. I don't think it's insane ever. Bowling. I think it's good. Incorrect. I think it's good. And then Arrested Development just beat it, and after that, and then Thirty Rock beat Arrested Development. And something. I think Parks and Recreation is probably going to beat Thirty Rock. Parks and Recreation is the best one. I just put. I just put Parks and Rec into my instant queue. You haven't watched it? I have not. I watched like an episode or two and I hated it. Okay, here's the thing. I didn't like it that much when I started. But you and Satan have both been pretty vocal about getting me to watch it. There's a second season episode called Sister City, which is about the funniest episode I think I've ever seen of television. It's really funny. I really don't like Amy Poehler. See, I mean, if you just have particular biases, like you don't like Amy Poehler, you're just not going to like it, right? I mean, there, maybe that has nothing to do with how great the show is, sure. right? I mean, just read on like the. I mean, I dislike Will Arnett, but I mean, I think he's very funny. Yeah, but like you could just look at like the Finkel Draft listener, like this character on Parks and Recreation is one of the best developed characters on television. That's something that John said last week, right? Um, uh, Ron Swanson, the, the mustachioed boss sure. of Amy Poehler. He's just amazing, like, really amazing, well-developed character. He's so multifaceted. He's one of my favorite. I mean, I just from the commercials, he has one of my favorite lines. Yeah. Which is, he's like, "I'm not one for making speeches," and then he just walks off. <laughs> I mean, like, so his character, he's a he's a government bureaucrat who's a libertarian, and his goal is to undermine government bureaucracy. So he so he runs his department in the most inefficient possible way. So like. Like, he'll say, are you, is that, like, someone will be on the phone, but is that a work-related call? And then his assistant will be like, you know me better than that. I would never make a work-related call. And he's like, good man. <laughs> you know, so, and it's, it's this great thing, you know, and he works in government, and, like, a little girl will come by and be like, what's the nature of government? He's like, well, let me tell you. But the thing is, at the same time, he's this great leader of, of people. Like, he really cares about people, and he's a great job, like, facilitating and, like, making people's lives better. Despite the fact that he's this gruff guy who actually just lives to undermine his own position, it's this confluence of opposites that's just really, really well realized. And I mean, I don't know. Like you said, I, I described things that I liked about Parks and Rec. You know, like it sounds very Mayberry. To me, that sounds depressing because, like, I think the Andy Griffith show sucks. So uh, um, we'll see. I'm gonna watch it. I have it in my queue. First, uh, it's pretty good. But like, I think especially is like the third episode. You're saying something. You're so saying something about TV. Yeah. I actively want to not like stuff. Like, I go into... So it was like, here's this new show. And I'm like, you know, I think there's some exceptions, right? Timothy Oliphant's going to be on it. I'm like, I obviously want to like it. Ian McShane's on it. I want to like it. <laughs> Someone from Deadwood's on it. I want to like it. You know? So you just named the two principles of Deadwood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but generally, I want to dislike shows. I do not want to spend more time 20 
eight hours consuming Sons of Anarchy in a one-week span. You will. But I will. I love TV. It's what keeps me going. I love TV also. But I, I, I've decided that my I'm going to be more adversarial towards shows. Yeah. So Parks and Rec is probably my favorite show. I also don't want to... I like Dr. Lula. I also don't want to sink... Uh, you know, Sean Ryan, you got to get your show out of the second season for me from now on. Right? I, I don't. I didn't but, watch Chicago Code at all. I like Chicago Code. What other shows I watch Terriers, which is I didn't see that either. Hands down, the best hour, sort of hour long. I don't even know if it's a drama because it's sort of slightly. Comedic. Sure, but it was on FX, right? Yeah, it's the promise. It's he it. clearly had sex with the wrong Fox executive's wife and or life partner. Like, I don't know what he did, but like to not get a second season of Terriers and to not get a second season of Chicago Code. After, like, having the pedigree of making The Shield, seems insane to me. I have like, not watched any of those shows. Are they all really good? Yeah, they're all insane. You know what's insane to me? The, the people behind Glee, like the... Yeah. Brad Falchuk, and then who's the director? Who uh, I forget his name, yeah. They're the same two dudes behind Nip Talk? Yeah. There could not be two more opposite shows. More opposite, them- yet... And I, and I say this in the, in the most positive sense of the word. Gay. Right? They're equally... They have equal gay value, right? But they're so different. Like one Yeah, of they're very different. This, like, they're differently incredibly gay. Incredibly incisive drama that takes place in urban settings. Then one of them takes place in, like... One of them's, like, this incredibly feel-good comedy, basically, that takes place in in not urban yeah. setting. Like, and, like, one of them has, like, totally, like, personality-driven, uh, you know, characters... The other one's like totally like ensemble driven, you know, almost almost environmentally driven uh, feel goodness, and it, it they're although Sue Sylvester is a very strong character, uh, but you know the rest of the, they're they're almost like just types. You know, like. I, I I see this. I, I see a lot of similarities to the show towards the shows. I never really watched that much Nip Talk though. First season's super good. And that's like it, that's a show that really descends into. Camp in the camp, yeah. At some point, but like, there's a lot of really good stuff going for it. The first season, especially, very reminiscent of um, Breaking Bad, I would say. But then at like some point, there's like way too many like uh, heretofore unrevealed transsexuals. You're like, <laughs> at some point, you're like, really? <laughs> That's in my new band. Really? No, heretofore unrevealed transsexuals. That's that's my issue with that show. Otherwise, it's spot on. Um, what else? Oh, that's a lot. What are you going to write about this week on your mothership article? Uh, probably going to talk about just legacy. Going to do a legacy roundtable. I'm going to do a legacy crash course for mine. So why don't you do like? I'm going to do a personality-driven legacy. Why don't you do a personality-driven standard roundup? Because Greg asked me to do a personality-driven legacy. Personality-driven standard. Maybe someone recent tournament winner. <laughs> I assumed you were going to write about yourself. No, not on Mothership. I just wanted to do a crash course for. Legacy. Are you going to write about yourself on? Are you kidding? I'm going to this, this win for the next five years until I win you're, another tournament. You're like, sorry, John Finkel, <laughs> Napster's dead. Long lives Planner Twin. Long Twitter. lives Planner Twin. Long live Pilgrim's Eye, Queen. <laughs> Do you remember when you were like, I think you're going to play this card Pilgrim's Eye? I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's in all my damn decks. 
What? Tom Martell, like, this today, I was talking to him on the phone, he's like, you will put Pilgrim's Eye into any deck. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so, by the way, we're going to do a Tom Martell's mom victory lap here. So, if you remember way, way back in the early days of the Top 8 Magic podcast. I remember back then. We, Tom Martell was a semi-frequent guest. But he was like not, a, he was not a star of the Pro Tour like he is now. He was no, like, no, no, no. He was, he was just a guy who thought Lay of the Land was unplayable in IPA draft. So it's a so, sort of monkey stick, you're saying? <laughs> I'm just saying that he said vehemently. To use a Mike Flores pronunciation of a word. Uh, that just Johnny told me he might not go to the... In the t- speaking of Mike Flores <laughs> pronunciation of words, Johnny sent me an email today. He's like, oh, I don't know if I can go, bro. Yeah, I didn't think he was going. Murder. So he uh, he said, Lady Lane's unplayable. Yeah. So he's like, oh, I'm doing a... So he tweets this week. <laughs> he's like, oh, my God, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a podcast with the limited resources, guys, which I assume is a podcast about limited... Yeah. I have no idea. They're nice guys. They're I don't listen Seattle. to podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Uh, and he says, you know, any idea, subject, any ideas for stuff I should talk about? I'm like, I think you should talk about the playability of Lay of the Land in IPA draft. And he's just like, in, I don't know how you get your caps even smaller yeah. and sheepish in Twitter than they actually are if you just do all lowercase. But, but he somehow found a way to make it. He's like, perhaps I need to rethink my opinion on that one. Yeah, I mean, they're like, everyone from, uh, like, you've not taurined up over the course of this podcast, yeah, and as a result, you're lagging as we go into the, what's the, Tom into that, the top eight rounds. Tom here. that Becker used to always play with? Yeah. Tom. Tom. Confidence Tom. That, that's what I was thinking. I can't remember his last name. Philadelphia lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Tom. Good player. Tom. Yeah, yeah. We dumped PJ for him in a, in yeah. a. Get <laughs> a PTQ once. Tom, what's his name? I don't remember. Whatever his name is. Everyone from him to to, uh, to Brian Cole would like first pick a lay of the land, right? Yeah. Giant Tom. That guy was huge. Confidence Tom. Yeah. Yeah, so. And Ed. What do you think of. What was Ed's last name? Lansky. Ed Lansky. Uh, that didn't help. I thought that would get it for you. What do you think of the following cards? You like Pilgrim's Eye or no? I think it's all. I mean, I, I, I like Pilgrim's Eye, but I, I'm certain that Pilgrim's Eye is not good enough on my deck. A Flores card that's probably not going to be in your deck moving forward. I mean, I might want to play that guy on fourth man elite. <laughs> <laughs> I got it, maybe. Yeah. I mean, by the end of the day, I was signing up Pilgrim's Eye every round, <laughs> and Reed's like, "You always sign it out here, though." You keep saying, "Like, oh, there's a reason I have it." The fact of the matter is, I have to sign out something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Oh my god, I just figured out. What? I know what your secret legacy pack is. What? Will you let me say it out loud it. and not edit it? If I'm right, you'll tell me I'm right? Yeah. Feud killer's verdict. Hey, you are not right. <laughs> this has been Michael J. Flores. <laughs> right, David Marshall, Top 8 Magic. Goodbye. See y'all in uh, Providence next weekend, I hope. Bye.